In the wake of a mass shooting, a reporter uncovers a notebook with clues to the gunman's past. But the exclusive story comes at a price when the court demands the reporter reveal her sources or face jail. I was terrified out of my mind. It's just a very specific, like, imminent sense of your life being over. And also, like, I'm a small girl. I did not know how well I would do in actual prison. In a case that began in a New York newsroom and went all the way to the Supreme Court, a team of specialist appellate lawyers from Hogan Lovells fight for the right of one journalist to protect her sources. So I was not just standing up for the broader First Amendment principles of freedom of press and information gathering and journalism ethics. I was standing up for Jana. I'm Kate Stetson. This is Proof in Trial, Season 2, Appellate Edition, Holmes versus Winter. One Friday night in 2012, Fox News reporter Jonna Winter was out at a bar with some friends in New York when she got a call from the newsroom. There had just been a shooting in Aurora, Colorado. Shortly after midnight, James Holmes had walked into a theater at a showing of a Batman movie and opened fire, killing 12 people and injuring many others. Holmes, his hair dyed bright orange, was arrested at the scene. As a breaking news reporter, Jana had covered a lot of mass shootings. So she grabbed her bag and got on the plane to Colorado. In Aurora, the community was struggling to make sense of what James Holmes had done. And the question that kept coming up was, why? Why would somebody do something like this? Jana got to work to try and find some answers. Sean Murata is a partner in the appellate and Supreme Court practice at Hogan Lovells. I'll let him pick up the story. What Jana found for Fox News, working through her many law enforcement sources, was that shortly before the shooting, Holmes had sent a notebook to his psychiatrist at the University of Colorado that contained disturbing drawings of violence and of killing. But the notebook had been caught up in the university's central mail system and never reached the psychiatrist before the shooting. Jana knew immediately that the notebook was important, and she promised her source she would not reveal their identity. Now she needed another law enforcement source to corroborate the first. She explains. I was running around looking for a second source, got it confirmed, wrote up the story on my BlackBerry, and <laughs> sent it in. I believe uh, it was edited by someone, and then... I knew it was going to break news, but that's what I did. I usually, that's what I was good at. I went into situations where there's thousands of reporters from around the world and I broke news. The story was incredibly important because in so many mass shootings, there are arguments that there were red flags that were missed or information that if people had it earlier, maybe the shooting could have been prevented. Jonna's story was one piece in that narrative for James Holmes. It let people know that there was this red flag out there, the notebook that he had drawn in. And maybe if his psychiatrist had gotten that notebook a little bit sooner, the tragedy could have been prevented. Jana published an exclusive story about the notebook on foxnews.com. She had done her job. And then she got a call from the newsroom. There was another shooting to report on, this time in Milwaukee. So Jana packed her bags and went to the airport. 
She didn't really think about the notebook too much again until something happened months later, after which she couldn't stop thinking about it. Later that year, Jana was called into the boardroom at Fox News in New York. She was being subpoenaed to give testimony at a court in Colorado at the trial of James Holmes. His defense team argued that her report about the notebook could taint his trial and that she should be forced to explain who had told her about the notebook. The worry was that if law enforcement officials were speaking to the press and leaking to the press, that that could create an unfair trial for James Holmes because the jury would be influenced not by what they heard in the courtroom, but what they read in the paper or what they saw online. It was a situation that every journalist fears. If Jana revealed her law enforcement sources, her career as a reporter would be over because no one would ever trust her again. If she refused to disclose her sources, she could face up to six months in jail. In the boardroom at Fox News, her bosses introduced Jana to a group of lawyers from Hogan Lovells. Here's Sean. We knew that we had the full resources of Fox News to protect Jana and to protect her sources. Their position was from day one that they would take this case to the highest court that they could in Colorado, in New York, or the U.S. Supreme Court if they had to. Among the other lawyers that Jana met that day was Ben Fleming. Today, Ben's a partner at Hogan Lovells, but back then he was a second-year associate, new to the practice of law, and a former reporter for a small-town newspaper. He jumped in to help come up with a plan, as he explains. We, of course, had heard about the shooting and the prosecution, which was national news, but we also wanted to learn about the law that the Colorado prosecutors were using to try to compel that testimony. The law Ben is referring to, the Uniform Act to Secure the Attendance of Witnesses from Without a State in Criminal Proceedings, meant the Colorado court couldn't directly subpoena Jana because she was from another state. They would need the cooperation of the local court, and that meant going to New York to request that Jana testify. It's an old law. It dates back to Al Capone days when... Bootleggers used to cross the state line into Indiana and you know, shake their fists at the state troopers who were left behind, who couldn't follow them across the border. This type of law was enacted to stop that sort of thing, and it has. But Ben and the team saw an opportunity to challenge the request for testimony from another state because it contradicted a strong public policy of New York, the S.H.I.E.L.D. law. It's a law that says, basically, that you can't compel journalists to reveal their sources. And there's a reason why New York has the toughest shield law in the country. Sean explains. New York is the media capital of the world. Uh, the most important newspapers, the most important broadcast companies are located in New York. And so the New York legislature understood that the key role of the New York journalists can't be carried out unless there's a strong shield law. We had a tremendous team of litigators in our New York office that argued to the New York trial court that the conflict between New York's strongest in the nation shield law and a general law that said that witnesses should go from one state to the other to testify in criminal proceedings should be resolved in favor of protecting New York journalists. Unfortunately, the New York trial court rejected that argument. That's when the Hogan Lovell's appellate team was called in to take the case to the New York appeals court known in the first instance as the New York Appellate Division. And that's when I joined the team. 
As Sean and the other lawyers sat down to discuss their next move, the day that Jana was dreading was getting closer. At any moment, she could be called to testify in the case of mass shooter James Holmes and be asked to reveal the sources for her reporting. Several times, she traveled from New York to Colorado on standby in case she was called, and each time she worried about what kind of clothes she should wear in case that would be the day she took the stand and refused to reveal her sources and would be sent to jail. The experience was taking its toll. And the whole time, I was getting death threats, my family was getting death threats, I was terrified out of my mind. It's just a very specific, like, imminent sense of your life being over. And also, like, I'm a small girl, I did not know how well I would do in actual prison. And so I was trying to read up on Orange is the New Black had just come out. So I was trying to learn, you know, how do I survive? And my family, you know, my dad ended up basically losing his job and we had to sell the house because he didn't want to be out of the country when his daughter went to jail. Seeing Jana struggle with the pressure of the case was tough. It made Ben and Sean even more determined to persuade the court that New York's shield law should take precedence. Jana was not some abstract corporate client. She was a young reporter, almost the same age as me, who was under personal threat. You know, not impersonal in the least. Personal threat as in, you have to do this thing that may ruin your career, or you'll be tossed in uh, what she referred to as the pokey, in Arapahoe County in Colorado, a world away from your home and from your career. And it was really remarkable to get to see upfront how that played out and how that affected legal strategy, how it affected the way that we worked with her on the legal arguments and how we just related to her as a human being. The team set to work on the written argument for the appellate division hearing. A written submission can make or break your case at appeals level, and the lawyers had a much shorter time than usual to pull it together. Here's Sean. One thing that was unusual about this case is how fast it was moving. Because Jonna's testimony was relevant to a fast-moving criminal proceeding in Colorado, this case moved much faster than the normal appeal. A normal appeal is usually a pretty slow and plotting process where you might write the briefs over a couple months and then you might wait a couple more months before the court hears your argument. In Jonna's case, we wrote our briefs in two weeks. We wrote the reply brief, which is the final written submission to the court in just a couple days. So we were working really around the clock, doing the best we can to hone and to refine and make the best written arguments we could for Jana. The oral argument would be delivered by partner Chris Hanman in front of five appellate division justices in the first department courthouse, a building with a vaulted stained glass ceiling and wood paneling right on Madison Square Park. It's a spectacular courthouse, and that's not all it has a reputation for. The first department is also what you'd call in the legal industry a hot bench. It's extremely hot. These are uh, five New Yorkers who have who have opinions, uh, literally and figuratively, and are not afraid to share them. So you go and you get yelled at. It was a hot bench for both sides. For our side, there were a lot of questions about has any court ever in the history of this Uniform Act to compel witnesses to testify in other courts rejected a request on this basis. And our answer was 
no. Unfortunately, we did not prevail at the first appellate court in New York, the appellate division, but we lost three judges to two. And that two is important because under New York law, if two judges dissent and they do so on a question of law as they had, you had an automatic right of appeal to the New York Court of Appeals, which is New York's highest court. So although we lost in the appellate division, in some ways we lost in the best way possible because we ensured that Jana would have a chance to have her case heard by New York's highest court. As hopeful as they were of a positive outcome, the Hogan Lovells team had to be realistic. They needed to prepare Jana for the worst. They'd spent so much time together that Jana felt close to the lawyers, and because Ben had once been a journalist, she felt him particularly easy to relate to. He was like the bridge between like fancy legal stuff and my life. And he was really good at translating that into like what that means for me and like what decisions like I had the power to make and what I felt like I wanted to do if X happens. The lawyers talked over practical issues that Jana needed to think about. It started to feel very real at that point. Did I want to continue my wireless access? And who would be the person who would have access to um, like power of attorney type of thing over my bank accounts or my leases up on this date? Um, Did I want to keep my cell phone plan with Verizon? Uh, Things like that where I thought, I thought going to jail was really easy, but apparently it's like very complicated and involves like a lot of paperwork. It was a sobering moment for Sean too. Knowing that I was dealing not with a faceless corporation, but a real living, breathing person who had plants to water and was worried she couldn't do it if she went to jail, it adds the pressure, but it also makes you be your absolute best. It was knowing that if I spent another hour on this case, if I spent another two hours on this case, I was helping Jana, who was a real person who needed our help. And so I was not just standing up for the broader First Amendment principles of freedom of press and information gathering and journalism ethics. I was standing up for Jana. Ben, Sean, and Chris knew that there was a lot riding on this final argument that they were about to make. The Court of Appeals argument took place toward the end of the year in upstate New York. I recall us all taking the Amtrak up, staying in Albany the night before, having dinner in an Italian restaurant, pretty close to the courthouse, and knowing at that point that we'd run all these arguments back and forth in our heads so many times that it was quite clear what we were going to say. Chris Hanman was going to be doing the argument before the Court of Appeals. He was extremely loose, extremely relaxed, and ready to go at that point. We All we wanted was for there to be an answer and to know, ideally before Christmas, that This was not going to be something that was going to require yet another trip to Colorado as that criminal case dragged on. The Colorado courts already held that this evidence supposedly implicates Mr. Holmes's uh, right to a fair trial, right to due process, and right to an impartial jury under both the Colorado and U.S. constitutions. I don't think, reading the tea leaves, that he's now going to say, well, Ms. Winter's testimony is actually going to overcome that. That voice you just heard was Chris Hanman arguing the case. Emotions were running high. And after Chris was done, all that was left to do was to wait for the decision. And while they waited, Jana was getting support from Fox News and messages of solidarity from other journalists. My colleagues and my bosses and just random people I had not ever met before, like Shepard Smith, really were unbelievably supportive in in sort of simple, just nice ways that, that mattered kind of a lot at the time. 
And still do. Finally, the decision arrived. We won. By a razor-thin four-to-three margin, the Court of Appeals held that New York's strong public policy of protecting reporters' confidential sources trumped Colorado's interest in having Jana reveal the sources behind her story. So after we got the verdict, there was an eruption of, of gratitude and excitement and a little bit of there but for the grace of God. Once we saw that it was 4-3 and we'd won by a hair's breadth. But none of that mattered to Jonna. She wouldn't have to you know, face the hops choice that she dreaded and we'd all dreaded all year. And all of the stress that had been lingering for that entire calendar year melted away all at once. The final hurdle was James Holmes's appeal to the United States Supreme Court. That court ultimately declined to hear his case, which meant the nightmare was finally over. Sean gave Jana the news. When I called Jana to tell her the case had was really and completely over, it was, of course, a tremendous relief and a tremendous shock to her. I think I was in such shock that it could potentially be over because it had been such a daily, minute-by-minute part of my existence for, I mean, almost two years at that point. But what I also remember was Jana was headed out the door, I think, to report a story. Uh, She was going out to do her job. And so she was incredibly relieved. She was incredibly gratified. Uh, There were tears, perhaps, on both ends. But then I remember her saying, hey, I got to go. I have a story to report. And so what I took from that was that this was an incredible win for Jana. It was an incredible win for us at Hogan Levels. But at the end of the day, she was just a reporter who was trying to do her job the best she can. We got an email, I believe, from Jana after we sent her the decision that said, no pokey. And that was the rallying cry from that point onwards uh, for a while, no pokey. And you always want, you know, (laughs) the least you can do as a lawyer is try to keep your clients who aren't even facing criminal charges out of jail. So we we cleared that bar. Whenever uh, anyone was facing kind of a, uh, a challenge from that point onward. We, we always had that rally and cry, no pokey, to, to come back to at that point. And then because it was December, it was actually, you know, and we this had all been, all of the stress had been wiped away, we, we wa- you know, walked right into the festive season. We were able to relax and, and celebrate and be happy together after a year of continuous work and continuous worry. It ended up amazingly. You can find more information about our appeals team at HoganLevels.com. I hope you'll join us for the next episode of Proof in Trial, Appellate Edition. Until next time, I'm Kate Stetson, and thank you for listening.